Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Claire Fullerton has always known she's a storyteller. She was born in Wyzetta, Minnesota, the homeland of her father, and transplanted at the age of 10 to Memphis, Tennessee, the homeland of her mother. She learned early that the art of observation can be a climbing lifesaver. Her mother told her that as a child, she would sit and just watch people. It's what is known as the writer's eye, the ability to see the world from the outside in. If that's true, Claire admits she is happily guilty. Claire currently lives in Malibu, California, but will always consider herself a Southerner, a card-carrying member of the last romantic culture on earth. She found her niche in music radio as a member of the on-air staff of five different radio stations during a nine-year career. After spending... A year abroad in Ireland, she came back to the United States and three weeks later started reading her journal. That's when she realized she had a good story to tell. Today, she is the author of eight, both traditionally and independently published books and multiple essays. Claire is a much sought after speaker and radio guest with a strong voice for women's fiction and the voice of the American South. I'm welcoming her from South Florida to my guest, who is unabashedly a Southerner. Claire, welcome. (laughs) What a pleasure to be here with you, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. And I wanted to jump right in and tell you that I love everything about your writing for so many reasons. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what I really want to talk about is I've heard you on other shows and other venues, and I love how you talk about writing. You make me think differently about writing for myself, and I listen to other authors differently because of how you talk about writing. I want to hear what that process means for you, particularly about what it means to have a Southern voice. Well, that's a wonderful question. And by the way, Grace, let me say that flattery will get you everywhere. So I'm going to put both antennas up to give you the quality of an answer that you (laughs) deserve. Um, I think that writing for me is an incredibly personal experience. And I was it's funny that you would pose this question today, um, because just this morning I was writing in my journal about the necessity of getting back to the purity and the innocence of purpose, which is what got me into writing to begin with. And when I say that I have, I started my writing career by writing in my journal, that is the truth. Because what that does, um, whether or not you aim for it or are even conscious of it, is it helps you to fine tune the way you communicate. And I think that writing and speaking go hand in hand. When you have writing in your life um, as a focus, you tend to be a very clear and concise and succinct speaker because that's what writing requires. It is also what public speaking requires. So the two go, go hand in hand. And about answering your question about the purity and the innocence and the initial space um, there were many, many years, certainly that that point in year, I spent more than a year 
living in rural Ireland. And and because I, I was in the habit of keeping a journal before I even got there, I wrote at the end of every day um, what was going on, you know, who I'd seen, what they'd said, what was going on. And, and because I had a job there, I worked in the music business in, in Galway, Ireland. There was a lot going on and it was a new culture. And the Irish, of course, communicate differently um, because Irish as a language, when you translate it into English, the word cadence is different. The way that they speak is different. The Irish language has more connections than English does. We would say, it's a nice day. The Irish would say, it's a nice day that's in it. There are more connections there. And it fascinated me. And I wanted to really get everything down because it was hitting me so profoundly. And I was so acutely aware of communication for the Irish. It's a high art over there. And there's there's an attention to it, which means that you have to be focused and stay focused. And I've always brought that into my writing and the purity and the innocence. By that, I mean the honest, awestruck wonder of it. And so when you write a journal, you're communicating essentially with yourself. You're documenting your thoughts and your feelings. Nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to judge you. And so there's an innocence to it. And again, I'll use the word purity to it. And I think with social media, and I have released um, four books and a novella, traditionally published all. Uh, I have written a fifth manuscript now that's beginning to, to, to you know, make the rounds and all of that. It will be a process. But, but social media and promoting a book is such a different experience than being an artist. So I don't consider myself a writer. I am a writer. No, I'm not. I'm a human being. It is one of the arts that I pursue. And because it's all the art with the arts, it's all one thing happening. And what is that? It's an exploration of what it means to be human. And so that to me, I hope answers your question. That's exactly how I feel about it. It does. And you talk about the gift of language and you sound like you found that really in your journals. Did you always keep a journal or is that a always? always? I, think, I think from the time I was maybe 17 or 18, it just occurred to me uh, w- without anybody suggesting I do it. And so, so that was something that came very, very spontaneously and very naturally to me. Um, and so, you know, when I hear people say, I want to be a writer, you know, and, or when did you want to be a writer? I think I just woke up to the fact that I, I already was one. It's your bio. I love that your bio said you were always a storyteller. Do you have a medium in which you're more comfortable? I would say for myself, I'm more comfortable writing. I think that that nanosecond that it takes for the synapse to close and come out of the end of my fingers just gives me that little bit of thing that I'm more comfortable. Do you have a venue in which you're more comfortable? Um, I take to dance. I'm, I was a, a ballet teacher, um, Pilates mat, ballet bar the Balanchine method, not the, the Royal Academy of Dance, if you know what that is, but if you know what the difference is, um, that comes to me very naturally. Um, and and, and I've, I've been that way since I was very young. And, you know, so so with writing, and I, I think it comes incredibly naturally and easy to me. That said, that only means the aptitude. 
And so once one with, with any art uh, becomes aware that they have an aptitude, well, then I think it's incumbent upon them to therefore develop it. And so the work starts there. That it's not it's not enough for me to say well, I have an aptitude, which suggests oh I just tossed it off my wrist. And and in some ways I do. In some ways I really do, especially that first draft. But uh, the work comes in and reining it in and going over and over and over and over the work to make sure that that it's at its best. And by that I mean this is just me. Sentences. Every single sentence in my mind needs to sing. It needs, it needs to be right where I want it to be. And there is within the paradigm of stringing sentences together, there is an overarching intention, which is the entire manuscript needs to work as one. And when you say that, I hope that our listeners can understand why I love hearing you talk about the work of writing. I am new to audiobooks, and quite honestly, I still like either a book or a Kindle in my hand. But because I've heard you speak about Southern writing, I listened to part of one of your books, Morning Dove, in audiobook. And I fell into the words. And I think this is a good point to ask you, if you would just read that first paragraph, that, that paragraph with the follow-on sentence, because I fell into the words and I believe every sentence sings. So if you would just read me that one little snippet. Thank you so much. I will. And this is the second paragraph um, of the first page of, of Morning Dove. Finley was born 18 months ahead of me. So I came into the world following his lead. Mom told me in one of her rare confessional moments that Finley was an accidental pregnancy, but that I had been planned. I remember furring my brown and, and thinking that's odd. If anybody had a God-given significant purpose for being on earth, it's Finley. Compared to him, everyone else is a random afterthought, including me. And I fell into your book with those words. I was very much struck, Claire, because I never gave a whole lot of thought to Southern writing, if you will. I've certainly read, you know, enough Southern authors, if you will, without really giving it thought until I heard you talking about it. When you talk about Findlay and everything else is an afterthought, I was very much struck not to continue the compliments that you so graciously um, embrace. But I was very much struck be between the sense of your writing and that of Harper Lee and Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. I felt differently about the way you wrote in that the story is told first person but it's very much telling us a story. In my writing, my, my novel talks about first person, but it's very much in the character's head. In your writing, it is us, as I felt with Scout telling us the story of this is what Atticus does. Would you say that's a fair assessment? You are the main character, but you are telling us the story in a way that's different. And is that Southern or is that Claire? Probably just me. I think that in in terms of um, storytelling, 
I, I can say that I grew up in, in a rather formal environment and my mother used to observe the cocktail hour at five o'clock um, and people from nearby would, would, would come and join or they wouldn't join, but she always would discuss the events of the day and typically people. And, you know, that is a Southern thing that they're fascinated with their own and their own culture. And they like to discuss who's doing what. And I think that it gives them a very keen eye um, for, for character development. And I think because I grew up listening, you know, in, in a room that was off the parlor that was that was called the card room to to my mother tell stories that the way that she would tell about anything, you know, it, it was always this incredibly visual experience where every nuance was attended to lest you not receive the full impact of her intention. And so that to me is storytelling. I think in the first person, there's an immediacy to it um, and nowhere to hide. And so I also think in the first person that for me with Morning Dove, I had to establish this is the voice of a, of a, a younger sister telling about the life of her, uh, of her brother, 18 months older, whom she revered. And so there needed to be um, a, a little bit of, you know, the tone of awestruck wonder throughout it. Why? Or she wouldn't be telling a story if, if it didn't mean something to her. And so, you know, there is um, the, the intention of it. And then you get down underneath that to the character study of, of who it is that's speaking, you know, and, and you want to keep a through line from the first through the middle to the end uh, and, and always be true to that through line, you know, that that should be the guide. And so that that's what I think with, um, you know, writing in the first person and as for being, you know, it, it being a Southern thing or a me thing. Um, well, I was influenced dramatically by growing up in the South that you are part of a culture and, and, and smaller, you're part of a community uh, where everybody is in agreement about one thing. We definitely know who we are, you know, as a culture. You talk a lot about that your books couldn't happen anyplace else because the South itself is a character. Would you definitely. talk to us about that? Well, in terms of the, the agreement, um, the tacit agreement that goes on, uh, there's a civility to the South. Uh, and, and within that civility, um, it only seems fit that there is a lot unspoken. There is a lot that's implied. Um, in the South, manners and form um, are the South that I write about. I'm not, I'm not writing about dirt roads and pickup trucks and coon dogs. I'm not writing about that South. I'm writing about the South where all the glitters isn't gold. And I'm writing about the South that is almost... Um, attendant to the social mores in, you know, say, Victorian aristocratic England. And, and, and it is passed down to a certain way that everything needs to, to, to be kept light and pleasant. And, and it is understood in the culture that there are, are, are certain places you don't go and, and plenty of things you, you just flat do not discuss. Why? Because they're unpleasant. And so I like the idea of that. You know, that is my understanding of a certain sect of the South. And so it spawns the obvious question, uh, you know, what are you, what are you really hiding? Because I, I'm looking at how you're acting and I'm listening to what you're saying. 
but what do you, what do you feel? And how has this impacted you? And so that to me um, is enough right there to drive a story. Fascinating. And I, I wanted to push you a little bit on, on that. The last few years have, in my estimation, and I could be wrong because I'm not a Southerner, Florida does not count as the South in my <laughs> estimation. <laughs> especially as a transplanted New Yorker and Washington, D.C. person. But the South is, I think, changing perhaps now. Um, politics has changed it. Racial uh, divides have changed it. How do you think that might or might not change Southern storytelling? Um, it, it depends on who's telling the story. I think that, that certainly we're, we're more, you know, transient in the United States of America. And I, and I think that people are moving all over. And, and I, I've always maintained that this, there's a certain romanticism to the South and people are, are fleeing the cities, um, you know, from, from New York to Detroit to wherever, uh, California, San Francisco, people fleeing there. It, it's happening. Um, p- people want to get out of the cities. And, and that's another conversation. And so, so where are they going? Uh, they're going to the smaller towns and the, and the South um, has become the last bastion of romanticism in terms of a small, quaint, you know, town. The South is replete with them. And so so you can see why this is happening. And so over time, of course, it does start to uh, dilute the, you know, the, the, the finally intact culture because you have so many outsiders coming in and and but but there's nothing new there. I, I think it's been going on for a long time. We're just really seeing an extreme version of it um, these last couple of years. And I think that we're probably going to continue to see uh, for the for the next few years or whatever uh, this flight from the cities into a simpler way of life. Or, you know, and and a rural idea certainly sounds like a good idea at this point in time. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that it will. Um, over time, you know, change the, the the flavor of certain pockets of America um, that where, where the culture and the people are firmly intact. Because you know, you have to think about decades upon decades upon decades. Outsiders flat had to have a really good reason to move into rural Kentucky, you know, and and it's just not the case in, in this day and age. And you know, people move in because they can, and because it, it's more. It, uh, prudent for them to to go to a new place than to stay in the old. So yeah, I think I think that over time, I, I don't know how swiftly, but there, there's no way it could do anything but um, change the tenor of of a region. And I'm wondering when you talk about that migration, if you will, another theme of your book, Little T, for example, is really about those strong, lifelong friendships. And they transcend time and place, but they are also grounded in the South. Why is that such an important theme for you? Uh, Thank you for asking, Grace. Um, I think that the female friendships and Little T, whose title is actually the name of, of a character whose name is Thelonia. And her nickname, Southerners are big on nicknames. Everybody calls her Little T. But the idea of female friendship struck me when I flew uh, down to Memphis from from LAX, um, had cause to be down there for for a week. And I was very aware of the way that the female friendships that that I've had since I was 10, um, the way that we speak to each other, the humor, the banter, the inside skinny, everybody's got everybody's history. So there's no point in acting otherwise. And it was just 
they they'll whip it sharp banter back and forth and the humor always that I was saying, you know, if my husband were to walk in the room and he's from Chicago uh, right now, he wouldn't believe it, you know, because it's just the way that women communicate. And it was that that I wanted to capture for one reason. I thought that every woman out there that read Little T would say, I have a friend just like that. That's exactly how we are. I was trying to capture that magic. And I think you did a really wonderful job of that. The fact that they are so honest, but still so polite, but they have each other's backs. There's that whole dynamic of women's friendship that I'm so glad that you wrote about. You talked about having another manuscript. Is that a theme repeated or do you want to share a little bit about? In fact, this is a, a, a complete departure. And I've never written anything like this ever again. So I thought, well, let's just try my hand at it and see what happens. And its title is The Insiders. And, um, you know, wish me luck on it because it's it's more of a more of a psychological, mysterious type, whatever. Uh, again, I, I have completed it and it's in the hands right now of somebody whose opinion matters. And that's where I am with the insights. But I will certainly keep you posted, my friend. You will be one of the first people. I will say, Grace, I got some news when I've got something to tell. I will shut you down. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Where did the germ from this one come from, Claire? Um, I can't even remember. I started it two and a half years ago. And of course, little T, I was, you know, preparing for that, then I was in that for more than a year. Now I'm on the other side of it. When you release a novel, you can pretty much be looking at cumulatively one novel taking up two years of your life, all told. And so I was, I've was i been writing The Insiders all throughout. And during the pandemic, uh, when, when my tour of the South was canceled, I had 10 events, radio, television, bookstores, all of it canceled. And I was like, you know, it released, Little T released May 1st, 2020. And I was very limited in what I could do. And while everybody was, you know, locked down, I really got to work on on completing The Insiders. Uh, And then I went over it about 10 times, you know. And so I have, as in two weeks ago, just gotten The Insiders onto somebody's desk. And I think it's probably going to be a a couple of months before I, I, I hear, well, revise and resubmit or whatever you're going to hear. But I'll let you know. Thank you for asking. Well, I, I'm so excited. Eight books is very impressive. Well, it's not eight. It's four novels and one novella and then a, a manuscript. Okay. Well, that's Do I still- need to revise my website? <laughs> <laughs> Just revise your website. I think it's fabulous. I always like to close with something a little bit quirky about you, a little bit different, something people don't know. Well, everybody knows about my three German shepherds. Um, who are amazingly <laughs> handsome and beautiful. <laughs> who run the show around here. And I have a cat. Um, I think what probably what they don't know is that I was in the music business the way that I was, um, you know, out, out of music radio and, you know, on the air for, and, and then into music radio. I mean, into the music business. And it was the Los Angeles record business. I was offered a job uh, that caused me to move from from you know the deep south to California and and I've been here ever since and the the other thing is that a lot of people don't understand because I don't, I don't talk about it that I have um, a background in in ballet 
And that's, that's, that's part and parcel to my way of being in the world, which is insufferable to hear about if you're not a dancer. So I'm just going to keep it right there. <laughs> well, it's perfect. And you are incredibly poised. You're an incredible storyteller. Tell our listeners how people can find you and your fabulous books. Well, you can find me through my good friend, Grace Salmon, for one. <laughs> if, if you need to know anything, you go straight to Grace because she knows everything. Um, you such I'm, a Southern belle. I am. Claire is spelled C-L-A-R-I-R-E and Fullerton is F-U-L-L-E-R-T-O-N. All you have to do in your search engine is type in my name and more than you want to know about me will appear. Claire, thank you for being with me on the Storytellers today. What Thanks for being a great storyteller. You're just delightful. Thank you, Grace. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.